One other announcement. Um, we forgot to remind everyone there is a congregational meeting after the service So, for all members. So if you please, out, right after the service, we'll have a congregational meeting following the service. If you have your Bible, please open it to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. I experienced something awesome this past Tuesday morning. After I took my kids to school, I went to Panera Bread Company at Bridge Street to have my devotional time and to begin my sermon prep for the sermon. Now I got there around 8 o'clock a.m., got a hot tea, headed over to my usual table, and then I noticed a young man sitting in the chair behind me praying. At the time, I, you know, I paid no attention. I said, well, I guess he's a believer too. So I just sat down, got out my journal, opened up my Bible to 2 Samuel 22, and I started reading and writing. At certain moments, I would continue to glance over at the young man, you know, as he continued to pray. And again, I didn't pay no attention, but my curiosity was growing. But again, I said, okay, well, maybe he's just a believer like me, so I'll leave him alone. As I continued reading in 2 Samuel, I came to verse 40 of chapter 22. It says, for the Lord equipped me with the strength for the battle. I meditated on those words, and I began to pray for the Lord to equip me with the strength needed for my battles. And at this time, the young man was now on his knees on the floor praying. And I, and I said, at this moment, I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I sent something in me to speak with him. But when I got the air to speak, fear also came up, because I was afraid to initiate conversation. And so I said to the Lord, okay, Lord. If you want me to talk to the guy, give me an opportunity to speak with him, and I'll do it. But that was the wrong prayer. Because as soon as I stepped into Panera Bread Company, that door was already open. And so my prayer changed to, Lord, equip me with the boldness and the courage that I need to engage this young man. And so I did. And we had a 45-minute conversation about his beliefs. And it turns out that his belief system is a combination of all the different religions of the world into basically one system of beliefs. A little bit of Christianity, a little bit, a little bit of Islam, a little bit of Hinduism. Um, so it's a combination of all those religions. And he's searching for something. And I listened to him. Then I got a chance to share my testimony. I shared the gospel with him. And I got a chance to tell him about the good news of what Jesus did. And he didn't accept Christ, but I believe the Spirit used me to plant a seed in his life. Um, he says something to me toward the end of our conversation. He says, Alex, every time I read the Bible, it's, some, it's hard for me to understand it. Now, he ain't said that about any other of the books he reads. But he says, whenever I read the Bible, it's hard for me to understand. And I told him, it's because the Holy Spirit has to give you understanding. Which means if you don't have the Spirit, you ain't going to understand it. It's always going to be over your head. The Spirit has to equip us, just as he equipped me to engage this man. And remember, I was outside my comfort zone, outside my natural bent. In my own strength, I would never have done that. The spirit had to be in it, and he was that day. But how often, as believers, do we forget about that in the Christian life? How often do we try to equip ourselves for the battles that we face in life? 
How often do we put the spirit on the back burner and think it's all up to us? We need a fresh reminder of the spirit's presence and power in our life. For he is the power within. He is the power within you. And we must embrace that power anew and learn how to live out of it and function out of it. For the Holy Spirit is the helper sent from above. John 16, beginning in verse 1. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Please pray with me. Helper, I need your help. We all need your help in our life. Fathers need your help to be good fathers. Husbands need your help to be good husbands. Wives need your help to be good wives. Mothers need your help to be good mothers. Kids need your help to be good kids. The point is, Lord, we need you, Holy Spirit. You are our helper sent to us from above. And I pray that this day and this hour you will come and we will sense your power in the midst of us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. John, in John chapters 13 through 17, those chapters are known as Jesus' farewell discourses. His final words to his disciples before he went to the cross. And one of the things he deals with in these chapters is the future discipleship of his disciples in light of his departure to the Father. He was preparing them. Preparing them not just for his departure, but what they should expect when he left as they continued to do his work in ministry. And one of the things he prepared them for is he prepared them for the helper, the one who was to come. You see, Jesus' ministry and mission on earth was twofold. Yes, he came to die for our sins. Okay. Bring it down some. He came to die for our sins, but the second is he, had, he raised up leaders, disciples, who were going to carry on his mission and work after him. See, Jesus knew that when he descended to glory that his disciples were going to remain behind. They were not going to join him. They were not going to hold hands and go to heaven together. The 11 were going to remain behind as he ascended to glory. This means that those who have seven faith in Christ are also his disciples. His disciples who join in on his ministry and mission in the world. And the 11 disciples will be the first ones to do that. So he prepared them for what they should expect in life as they join in his mission and ministry in the world. He gave them the example of washing one another's feet. He gave them a new command to, to love one another. And if you love one another, the world would know what? That you are my disciples. He told them that in order for them to bear fruit, they had to abide in him. And then in chapter 15, he tells them, the world will hate you because of all of this. The world will hate you because of me. 
And in chapter 16, verse 1, he says, I said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. These things are referring back to what he says to them in in chapter 15 about the opposition that they were going to face as they continued in his ministry and work. They were going to get hated on. There was going to be hardships and persecution. In other words, the the road was not going to be paved in easiness. It wasn't going to be paved in easiness. The Greek term for falling away, it means to cause a person to distrust someone in whom they ought to trust. He is saying, I don't want the hardships you're going to face to cause you to distrust me. So I'll let you know beforehand that these things are going to happen to you. I don't want the opposition to cause you to stumble and believe in and trust in me. I don't want you to be caught off guard when it happens. So he prepares them. He kills the false expectation that just because I'm doing Jesus' work, all of a sudden it's always going to be comfortable, it's always going to be easy. I'm always going to get my way. I'm going to plant my flag, and everything's smooth sailing from there. We're going to start this new church, and everything is going to be laid out perfectly without no bumps in the road. No. Jesus says, I'm telling you beforehand, it ain't going to be easy. He tells them in verses 2 and 4, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that in the hour that comes to you, you may remember that I told you these things. He's preparing them. He forewarns us and them, expect resistance to his ministry and mission. Don't be surprised by it. Too often, many of us, and myself included, we, we water down the gospel to a self-centered, individualistic, romantic gospel. And what I mean by that is that we always make it all about Jesus' romance in us, how he continues to pursue us. That that's all we water it down to just mean that. Does he, does he continue to pursue us? Does he want to be in fellowship with us? Yes. But the gospel also equips us to be his disciples. He prepares us for a clear and present reality of what it means to be a disciple for Christ in a fallen world. It means something. If you have a saving faith in Jesus, it, it means something. And one of the things it means is that you are now his disciples, part of his agenda, part of his ministry and work in this world, not our own. Isn't it the reason why we're here at this church, in this community, in this city? Many of you are involved with ministries in this church. Many of you are serving with Lincoln Village Ministries, Lincoln Academy, the Link. You're involved in, uh, in, in the children program at the school. You help out in the food pantry, women at the well. You name it. You're engaged in the Lord's work here in this community carrying on his ministry and mission. And it ain't easy. It ain't comfortable. And many of you know that. Many of you have embraced that. Many of you have faced opposition, difficulties, frustrations, headaches, disappointments. You've been lied to. You've been taken advantage of. Burnout, overcommitments, hurt feelings, and flat out rejection. Some of you have thought, I should just give up and go somewhere where it's easier. The list can go on and on and on. And hear Jesus' words to you. I said these things to you 
to keep you from distrusting me when they happen. It ain't going to be easy. It ain't going to be paved with comfort. I was at a church conference uh, last year in Nashville, and one of the speakers said something that has stuck with me. He says, we determine, we determine God's call by the path of least resistance. If it's least resistant, then that's what he wants me to do. We determine God's call in our life by the path of least resistance, and we all do it. God, I want God to use me, but man, I want him to use me with 100% when it's comfortable and I don't have to get any type of pushback. I don't want to get dirty. The reality is you're going to get dirty. The reality is there's going to be resistance. The reality is it's going to be uncomfortable. And again, Jesus said, I told you these things beforehand that it's going to happen. My sisters and I learned this reality right now as we walk alongside my dad, making sure he has what he needs as he continues to recover from this stroke. And we ran into roadblock after roadblock. No matter what decision we would make, there was always an issue came along with it. I mean, you have no idea how hard it is to have to tell your dad you're going to put him in long-term nursing care because you don't have the resources to get him all the help that he needs. That day was a long, one of the longest days of my life. Hard. And, 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 and I'm still dealing with it. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm uneasy still today. And my mother told me on Friday, and it's the truth, but I didn't want to hear it. She said, you just going to have to trust the Lord with your dad, Alex. At the end of the day, that's what you're going to have to do. And she's right. Because I like being in control. I like controlling things. And this situation with my dad, it shows me how much, lack, how much control I don't have over things in life. And I'm at the mercy of his spirit. I'm at the mercy of what he's going to do. And so my pride was being chipped away these past several weeks. And he has to equip us, my sister, my dad, for this battle that lies ahead. And that's what we pray for. And that's what this church has to pray for as we continue in Jesus' ministry and mission. Why? Because it's going to take more than our education. It's going to take more than resources. It's going to take more than our money. It's going to take more than a nice vision and mission statement and a fancy website. It's going to take more than a bigger and finer church building. It's going to take more than having the right people in place or the right elders in place or the right pastor in place. It's going to take more than good music. It's going to take more than having the right theology. We're going to continue in his ministry and work. It's going to take more than those things. It's going to take his spirit, the helper, a supernatural power that does not come from us. If you're talking about longevity, in this work, you're going to need something other than just you. Otherwise, you're going to be here for a while, and then you're out. I'll be out if the spirit does not move. It's going to take the promised helper. Look at verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me where am I going, but because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. In these verses, the, the disciples, their, heart has, has, their hearts have been filled with sorrow because 
Jesus is going back to heaven. But he tells them, it's to their advantage, to your benefit that I go. And this benefit was not going to be a physical benefit. It's going to be a spiritual benefit. If I go away, the helper will come. I will send him to you. And this is Jesus thinking for about their future. Even before he went to the cross, even before the resurrection, even before the ascension, he's already thinking about how he can take care of them when he's not going to be here. How he's going to provide for them when he's in heaven. He was not going to leave them alone. He was not going to leave them to face the battles and the hardships and the persecutions and the sufferings alone. We're not going to abandon them. He's going to send a helper in his place. If I go away, I will send him to you. And that's a promise. Lock, seal, and deliver. I'm going to send him. He's going to come. He was going to send the promise parakletos. What does that mean? It's a Greek word that means helper, comforter, counselor, advocate, supporter, ally, advisor, senior friend, strengthener. That's the helper. In John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. You see, Jesus was the original helper. But when he left, he was placing that work in the hands of the Spirit of God. And notice when he talks about the helper, he's not, he uses a masculine pronoun because the Spirit is not a it. It's a he. It's not a thing. He's a person. But do we see him as such? Do we acknowledge him as such? See, he's not the hired help. The Spirit is not the third string within the Trinity. Oh, the Spirit, how can I be with the Father? I got to go with the Spirit? It's not Father, Son, and oh yeah, by the way, the Spirit. No, there are three persons in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are one God. Same in substance, same in substance equal in power and glory. He is essential to your life. And when was the last time you saw him as such? When was the last time you cried out for his help? He is your comforter. The one you go to when you're in your affliction. Your counselor. He gives you advice, wisdom. Your advocate. Your supporter. Your strengthener. Your ally. The promised Holy Spirit is the one that helps Jesus' disciples Fight the battles that come from being part of his ministry and work. He will equip you for the strength that is needed for longevity. So the promised Holy Spirit, that's him, the promised helper. And this helper is also a particular helper because he wasn't just coming for anybody. Jesus wasn't just sending the helper to anyone. He was sending him to his people. If I go, I'll send him to you. See, the Spirit was being not sent in general sense. Now, he was not just coming in a general way. Nor was it the first time they was able to The Spirit has always been at work. But here in the New Testament, here in the New Covenant, he was going to come in a new and more powerful way. In the sense of Joel 11. I meant Joel chapter 2. What does Joel chapter 2 say about God's Spirit? It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on your male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. The helper will be poured out in a particular way. 
on a particular people, Jesus' people, you. Now, the unbeliever, the guy I spoke to at Panera Bread, he don't have the spirit, but I do. That's why I can understand scripture, and he can't. Same goes for you. He's sending his spirit on his church, his bride. And guess what? He will be with you forever. The world cannot receive him because the world neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, says Jesus. You know him. He dwells with you. He will be in you. What do you think about that? The spirit of God is in you. Beloved of God, don't you realize that you have a power within that the world is never going to have and cannot have. That power is God's spirit. And only those who have saved faith in Jesus can have this power. Only those who have saved faith in Jesus can have this helper in their corner. Jesus says in John 7, whoever believes in me, the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that is the spirit. The deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. I'm going to read Luke 11 to you. Beginning in verse 9. Jesus said, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For whoever asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks will be opened to you. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give, give him a serpent? Or if you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you ask him? Do you ask him for more of the Spirit's power? Do you ask him for more of the Spirit's presence in your life to empower you to engage, to empower you to be the husband or the father or the minister or the elder you need to be? in your families, in your struggles, in your pain, in your successes? Have you asked the Father to let the Spirit be in those things with you? We have to live as people who desperately know if God's Spirit does not move, nothing will never get done. Nothing. You think just by me preaching good sermons, this church is going to sustain this church? You think that? You think if we just have enough money that's going to allow us to continue to do the things that we're doing? You think if we just have the right people in place or well-connected that this is going to guarantee success? No. If the Spirit of God doesn't bless it, it ain't going to happen. Period. What did the quote that I said earlier, what makes me glad is not what I get but who I am. And who I am depends upon the Spirit. The same for the church. What makes us who we are is the Spirit of God. Period. Period. I'm going to close with this quote, a book that I'm reading. It says here The Pharisee rested in the law, and he rejected the Savior to whom the law directed. Sound evangelicals thinks if he has mastered the letter of the gospel, he thereby knows its truth and power. While claiming allegiance to Paul's doctrine, he knows little of Paul's spiritual experience, which caused him to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
The very people who are thumping the Bible most vigorously are often the ones trying to have church without the Holy Spirit. They think teaching alone can cause their members to live the victorious Christian life, but it can't be done without the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Vows and promises alone, no matter how sincere, can never overcome the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I say that again. Vows and promises alone, no matter how sincere, can never overcome the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I add to that, vows and promises alone would never give you staying power in this ministry, in Christ's ministry. If his spirit is not empowering you, you ain't going to last. You flee away. Let us pray. Spirit of God, our helper, we need more than just vows and promises. We need you to work. We need you to move. And I believe you are moving in this church. You are working in this church. We always need a reminder of the power within that it's not us. We don't pat ourselves on the back for nothing. All we do is bend our knees and give praises to our God and King who has shown favor to us in spite of us. And so, Lord, I pray that for your spirit's presence to be in our families, to be in our marriages, to be in our parenting, to be in our businesses, to be in this church, to be with the leaders of this church, to be in the ministries that we support in this community, that you will be moving, blessing these ministries, providing for these ministries, Spirit. For I believe that God's Spirit does not move. Nothing gets done. I don't care how successful we look or how much education we got or how much money we got. If you ain't moving, Spirit, it means nothing. So help us to pray that way and to truly believe that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.